A Question of Freedom, Chapter 3, Fairfax County Jail, R. Cells. In the jail, a woman passed by me with fake eyelashes and the brown uniform of a deputy tight as skin on her body. From where they left me, I saw a group of men gathered around waiting to get mugshots. The mugshot declared that I was property of the state. The stamp. Without it, I had a sinner's chance of leaving the jail without the burden of cuffs. The mugshot made the reality of my one day going to prison real. Up until then, the shuttling back and forth into courtrooms seemed a formality to my release. Believing that I would go home is an insanity that I recognize now. But then I thought it was possible to confess to carjacking and have a court let you walk away with a, my bad, a do-over. It doesn't so much matter now. I was even handcuffed while they snapped the picture of me, caught up trying to test just how far into the streets I could step without becoming their victim. The handcuffs on my wrists reminded me of freedom, and the jail meant having on handcuffs even when I didn't have on handcuffs. It meant always waiting to be moved from cell to cell, but never from cell to home. The deputy taking my mugshot didn't need much time to tell me to get back on the bench, but it took at least two more hours before someone called out, Betts, you're moving into an R-cell. R-cells, a few walkaways of one-man cells in the basement of the Fairfax County Jail. Their men shouted for everything and nothing. On the doors, screaming at one another about what they lost and what they had left. I walked alone, even though a deputy led me to the jail cell that was empty of everything but the grit and grime of all the men who had laid their bones on the concrete that served as a bed. Alone. And all I could do was close my eyes and imagine how much time the judge would give me. The sound of the cell door closing was another closed fist upside my head. And it was only after that that the guard reached into the tray slot of the cell and uncuffed my hands. The jail cell was the barest room I'd ever seen. The walls not white, but a mix of brown, yellow, and the peeling of age. It reeked. The deputy walked away from me without speaking. All he left me with was a blanket that would cover half my five foot six inch frame if I stretched it. He had to come back and give me a blanket is what I thought. That's why I didn't yell out to him. Didn't remind him that I didn't have sheet or mattress or real blanket. I expected to get a mattress to be treated if I deserved not to sleep in a cold cell on a cold slab of concrete in the dead of winter. Although it was cold, I peeled my sweater off. When I threw the colorful mess onto the slab of concrete that was my bed, it landed on dry spit. Days passed and I still had no mattress. It was February and cold, and I hadn't changed my clothes since walking into the jail. Deputy, deputy, hey, look, man, look in this cell. I need a mattress, a pillow. All y'all left me with was this small-ass blanket. The deputy didn't stop walking, but he looked in my direction. How long you been in there? He moved along as he asked his question, then stopped and walked back toward me. 
I thought if he looks in here, he'll be able to see that I smell like I've been living in a puddle of piss and sleeping on cold concrete. I've been here about three, four days. Deputy, I haven't had a shower, no phone call. This ain't right. You got to do something for me. I was begging and learning. Prison 101. You could beg, but that just made you feel like the time was doing you. Like you weren't in control of yourself. Worse than that, you could beg and still not get anything. I didn't get a mattress that day. And after asking for a day or so longer, gave up on it. I learned to ignore the night air as it cut into my skin. Ignore ignore the indents and ridges of the concrete scraping my face. I learned a little bit about how to say fuck everything and still look forward to it tomorrow. Just about every deputy I saw in those first few days at the jail was white. Every judge was white. And even if it made no sense, I was seeing the world along color lines. The thing was, part of me wouldn't let me reduce my being locked up to someone, something about race. I had no problem reducing moments to race when handcuffs were tightened a little too tough or those nights in the R cell without a mattress. There were times when I knew that if I was a young white boy, I wouldn't even been in jail. But part of me knew that it was the gun in my hand and that man sleeping in his car that made my mother sad. The night at the Springfield Mall landed me in the cell, and in a way it didn't matter that I didn't have a mattress. I knew that if I hadn't robbed that man, I wouldn't have been in the R cell and wouldn't have been wearing the same underwear for all the days that I was checking off with scratch marks on the wall. The funk from my clothes taught me that in prison, you aren't shit, and the population scared me. So while the lack of mattress frustrated me, fear always trumped frustration. I'd learned to deal with the cold, the cutting concrete. I didn't know then how I deal how I would deal with the men in population. One day I heard a thumping on my cell wall. The cell was bare save for the concrete slab that served as a bed and the tin toilet and sink combination that leaned against the wall. There weren't any bars, but a sort of iron mesh that reminded me of what people put over the first floor apartment windows where I'd lived as a young kid. A yo-yo, the voice called out my cell number. Cell nine. I didn't know him, but needed another voice. Talking to myself was getting old fast. What's up? Nothing, man. I heard you over there yelling about a mattress. You don't have a mattress? To talk, we had to scream through the small crack in the cell's door. Nah, no pillar either. And I've been in here for a minute. The deputy's saying, fuck me. So I'm sleeping on the concrete. Shit. They call me shy. I've been down here for a couple of weeks and it's been rough. But at least I got a mattress. Shy told me his story, spilled his guts, you could say, to a person he'd never seen, and I wasn't but half interested. Shy told me about gangs, his gang in particular, and how a fight at his high school turned into an attempted murder charge. While he talked, I slipped my fingers through the grill that covers the cell door. Shy was younger than me, just 15. He thought he was going home too, told me he wasn't guilty, 
But I knew that if I couldn't understand his story of being in a gang, but not being in a gang and almost being in a fight, but not having the knife, the judge wouldn't understand it either. Judges learn to read our complexions, crimes, and communities as reasons why we needed the bars of, of a jail. And anyone telling me that isn't true should take a look at the shades of brown I watched walk in and out of the system. Couldn't tell me then this wasn't true when I'd seen one white child locked up in three months. Shy told me he wasn't guilty, and I told him it probably didn't matter. That was the first time I'd spent more than a moment at the door. Across from our cell was the section of padded cells. Shy had become my source of information on the jail. He told me the officers at Fairfax were known for beating locos down. His English was splattered with Spanish words I mostly didn't know, but I got the one and wondered if the, the pun was intended. Locos, slang for homie, brother, friend in Spanish, but literally meaning crazy. The padded cells were designated for the people who were a danger to themselves or someone else. <clears throat> Shah said, you're either crazy when they put you in there or crazy when they bring you out. I wanted to know how he knew, but before I asked, he told me that he watched them strip somebody and throw them in there. Neither one of us had been locked up long, but we both knew it didn't matter what the naked man did. It only mattered that he was a little too loud on the wrong day and that a deputy willing to do the paperwork got him tossed into one of the padded cells on GP, general principal, just because the badge said he could. It was February then, with the cold beating back against the day and me shivering in the cell for hours at a time. I talked for hours to someone I'd never seen before because we were both starving for a human voice. People screamed day and night just to be heard, thinking that the hearing made them human. I built two days around Shy's voice, waiting to hear him thump on the wall beside me to start a conversation. It kept me from thinking about how I would scream in a room with a straitjacket on. It kept me from thinking about what a person did to himself to make the deputies stop trusting him with silverware and toilet paper. The padded cell scared me, made me not want to ask for a mattress, to push too hard because I'd built a scenario in my head where I was tossed into a padded cell for demanding a mattress. That's what prison did to my young mind. It made me rationalize cruelty. It made me think that everything mocked me, even the dim light that never went out. Daydreaming. This is what I told myself most days. I'm five foot six inches or so and can pace the entire cell likewise in three short steps, one long. When I jump the ceiling, still, still hangs just outside my reach. I jump to test my boundaries, reach up and see how much the cell contains me. It contains me fully, but I keep jumping. I'm a trapped animal measuring my confinement as if effort will bring down these walls, as if I'll jump and for one second become Magic Johnson after he found out he had HIV. So I fantasize like a kid. It's the last second of the NBA All-Star game and I have the rock. I pump fake, jab and step, and then take two dribbles to the right. The crowd erupts when I jump. 
the ball is released. It's headed in. It swishes. When I landed on my feet, I'm still in the cell. The crowd is a bunch of old men hollering for food and telephones and attention. Ain't shit changed. This cell more like a cage than anything else or a fist closing around my sanity. And I'm dreaming on my feet, play acting like I'm still a kid, lost in it too. Just like you get lost in a dream with everything bleeding into itself until what's real and fake isn't important so much as what, what you see. And all I see in the ceiling is just outside my reach.